You are listening to the Mom Halo Podcast. This sweet ear candy will serve up laughs and aha moments as we talk to best-in-class thought leaders. These folks are dropping gems of genius. I'm Melana Kapitz, CEO and founder of the Mom Halo community. I'm a fun, fearless, freckled mom with three wild kiddos. I love to introduce you to ideas and people that will rock your world all while laughing out loud because that is the only way to get through the daily grind of parenthood. Plug in your earphones and let's get to them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Mom Halo podcast. And I'm super excited because we have a new expert in studio with today. I'd like you all to meet Lily. Um, and she is from Baby Sleep. So Lily's Baby Sleep. And uh, I invite you now to come up and introduce yourself, who you are, where you're from, and what you do. Go for it. Hi, Lana. Thank you so Hi. much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm always excited to chat with you. And um, yeah, my name is Lily. I owned Lil Baby Sleep and Lil Potty Plan, which are two businesses that actually are designed to help moms, you know, conquer all of those milestones that can be so difficult for us um, and with sleep and potty training. So what I do is I help parents overcome those milestones with ease, get them the support that they need, get them the plans that they need. And the great thing is that a lot of it is done online, but with that added support for me. So I, that's just my jam. That's what I do. I love helping parents. I've been through it all. I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old myself. So I'm like right in the trenches with you. And I am just so excited to, I'm always excited to talk about potty training and sleep, um, but I'm excited to chat with you guys today. I love it. So take us through the, can you hear me? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Take us through the top chief complaint you're getting right now. Cause you obviously have this potty training expertise, which I'm going to go into with you because I have some questions about my kids. Um, and then you have the sleep piece. What are the biggest moments parents are calling you right now? Well, I think with the current environment, there's a lot of stress, a lot of stress going around. Um, for potty training, what it looks like is like a lot of withholding, like a yeah. lot of holding in of poop and, and pee. Sorry, I talk about poop and pee really um, <laughs> bluntly, um, but uh, a lot of withholding for potty training. And then for sleep, lots of issues with over bedtimes. Um, because of the pandemic, you know, it's, it's been really difficult to kind of get on a schedule and get on a routine and now with the kids coming home and then not coming home. So there's a lot of things that are changing in our world and stress plays a huge role in sleep and potty training. I love it. Tell me a bit about that. Cause I can relate on all fronts. I have three kids. I have a one-year-old or 18 month old now, year and a half. What do you say? What is it? 18 months, year and a half, year and a half. Um, I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And I would say our fans and followers typically range within that ecosystem. Um, Their ages and stages somehow, you know, uh, intersect with me there. When somebody is having sleep woes right now, let's talk about sort of the zero to one. What is the chief complaint with zero to one first 12 months? Uh, short naps, short naps, early mornings, and uh, wake ups every two hours, usually. Um, okay. And usually people are like, how do you know that? It's like, uh, very common. <laughs> yeah. So let's go through it. Short naps. 
What's like people are getting cat naps, 15 minutes naps. They can't handle their shit. Like what's going on? What are people doing? Yeah. Like parents are stuck kind of like holding, rocking, and they just can't get anything done. Right. And so they're getting naps that are like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and they're not able to get through their days. And babies are overtired. They're just exhausted and fussy. And so parents are having a lot of trouble, you know, making sure that they're getting the naps and that they have some time to themselves during the day because like, Hey, we got to take a shower too. Right. So yeah, I love that. Yeah. So I think that that's one of the biggest things. I love that. So when somebody is having a short nap, I mean, I can't even imagine. I remember when my five-year-old stopped napping, I was like, what am I going to do with this kid? And then it's okay. Like they stopped napping. That's totally when they drop their nap entirely. I don't think my three-year-old will ever drop her nap. And Henry is literally like a crapshoot. I don't know what I'm going to get any day of the week. It will either be an hour or three hours. That's Henry. It's like freaking nuts. Um, But yeah, I think sleep training and sleep deprivation, like what is, how does that manifest in your clients? Like when people are sleepless as adults, like what happens to their brains? Well, I can tell you what happens to my brain and I'm moody. (laughs) So I am like, so, and, and sleep deprivation in general can cause us to just not be ourselves to be, you know, um, not only that, it also can affect our kids, right? Because we're definitely, they're definitely feeling what we're feeling. And if we're not fully present and we're feeling like we're just like dragging our feet, drinking like 10,000 coffees a day, trying to just make it past the day, we are, we're almost like living in a shell of ourselves, right? Now, if you are loving it, then that's totally fine. But I don't know about you. If I don't get good sleep at night, I'm just like not myself. And so like emotionally, physically, it can really um, impact us as parents, especially because a lot of us and and maybe some of us have more than one, you know, you have three, I have two. And, and so it could be a juggle even with one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really important that we don't get to that point um, so that we can feel and enjoy our lives with our kids. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about like your sleep training methodology. Cause I know a lot of people have different theories about sleep, sleeping. Um, and I know this is sometimes like a very hot button topic. I can't believe how much of a hot button topic it is. And I was just talking to um, another one of our experts in a different podcast recording about parenthood, like the mental load of parenthood and burnout right now. Um, so when somebody like, let's talk about what is your, what is your sleep training like methodology and like, why do people have issues with sleep training? What's that about? Yeah, it can be a very controversial topic. And like you said, everybody should do what they feel is right for their family. Ultimately, that's my, that's my philosophy is like, Hey, if you are loving your life and you are feeling good, then you keep doing you. If you are struggling and you are just like, can't get through the day and you need for something to change, then you can absolutely make those changes. And in terms of like the methodology that we use, we need Mm -hmm. to find what's right for you, right? Not what's right for like my next door neighbor that did this and swears by it. It's like, let's find what works for your baby, for your family. And um, let's do that and not feel bad about what we do to help our babies sleep better. Um, Because I think we all have opinions on how, you know, what the right parenting way is, but really there is no right parenting way. It's like what works for our families. Yeah. 
I think that's one of the, my main priorities is like to find out about the family, to find out what their comfort level is, how fast or slow they want to go and, and work with them to figure that out together rather than having like any judgment or anything when it comes to their sleep. Because in the end, the only one that's going to be struggling is you if you don't do what's right for you and you listen to like all everything. Right. So I'm not sure if that answers your question, but I know it I, does. It's great. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, if I have a kid who's between the ages of one and three, what's my biggest sleep issue? You're probably going to be struggling with bedtime. <laughs> bedtime battles. Yeah. Bedtime battles. Yeah. Those are usually pretty common for new, uh, for toddlers. Yeah. I would say because they're getting into that age where like, Hey, you can't tell me what to do. And I'm going to like push those boundaries as far as I can, especially now during, co- during this COVID time, because there's a lot of things that are stressful and they want to find safety and security and pushing right. those boundaries to find that is really what they're going to do. So I think that, you know, having like a solid bedtime routine um, is going to be super important, making sure that they get all of that attention at bedtime and having some really clear and loving boundaries when the lights go out is going to be um, so important for helping them understand how far they can go without kind of like trying to push those boundaries. Yeah, no, I mean, for me, for sure, that's, we have bedtime battles. Um, I have an issue and it started literally at the, at the crux of COVID um, two years ago now. Oh my God, that's so crazy. Our bedtimes are bananas. Like I will admit that here with you, like I am having challenges now and it's literally like the tighter the routine our family has, the better everyone sleeps. But when it's like coming off of the like last six weeks of this lockdown, COVID, Christmas vacation, bananasness with the with the Omicron, it's been bananas. Like bedtimes, my three year olds up at 10 p.m. I'm like, this would never have happened with your brother. Like never in a million years had your brother ever seen the other side of 8 p.m. when he was three. <laughs> And I think part of our challenge is room sharing. Also, we have two kids who are sharing rooms. Um, but yeah, Matt, it is getting bananas up in here. So um, yeah, I completely think that's. Yeah. I mean, and you know what? Yeah. It's hard. Like we have to acknowledge that it's shitty out there right now. Like, yeah. you know, this is not normal. And so like, I think that giving ourselves a little bit of grace to be like, Hey, like we are in like a very difficult time and maybe like some small steps to like, you know, maybe two or three things that you always do at bedtime, even if it's a little bit later, um, but that are consistent uh, or doing like a quiet activity before bed, something maybe sometimes I feel like sometimes making just small changes can seem a lot less overwhelming and And then also having a little bit of grace because we're all trying to kind of navigate this as well. So it doesn't have to be a dramatic kind of like you have to go to bed at like seven o'clock or else like, but, you know, try to aim, start to aim for an earlier bedtime or start to aim for a quiet activity. And it'll eventually start to sort itself out because we start to build those great habits. Right. I love that. And I, I think there's so much merit in what you're saying for me, especially it's a good refresher because it's been a long time since I've spoken to anyone who's uh, in the sleep industry. Um, yeah, we we have a pretty tight routine. It's just like things are getting a little bit later. I'm trying to pull them forward. Um, some of my dinner earlier um, and getting people just into the bath sooner, I find, gets like the wind down going. Um, 
and my kids have a little song. My challenge is maybe you can discuss this a bit too, is like parental preference. My parent, my kids always want me to put them to bed. Um, and I really am trying to get dad to put them to bed. So, or at least some want or desire. Cause then he gets a little offended sometimes if like, it's mommy, mommy, mommy all the time. And they gone through phases, each of them of having like what I call the daditas. Um, but, you know, we are privileged to have a two parent home and we are a heterosexual couple. So um, I know it's also a point of privilege that I have three children. I'm completely aware of where I stand in the world. And to some people, I'm like a walking trigger for all those reasons. Um, but yeah, when it comes to bedtime, like um, I've learned, and maybe you can either confirm or deny, but when it comes to parental preference at bedtime or at any time, I just have to continue to say, like, let's split it, right? Like, the more that he does it, the more he will be comfortable, more they will become comfortable with their own little song or routine, right? What's your take on parental preference? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that um, it's it's always good to continue to expose them to, uh, even if they're not 100% like so happy about it, yeah. it's still good to, one, because you need some some rest too. You can't, yeah. you know, and also so that your kids start getting used to it. Um, right. I have that too with my family and and sometimes they just want daddy for bedtime. And it's it's kind of one of those things where, you know, you, you're getting, you're getting me. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Whether you like it or not. And let's do something fun and, and quiet together. But continuing to, and it doesn't have to be every night. And dad can have his own special bedtime routine and mom could have her own special bedtime routine. And they don't have to um, be the exact same thing. It could right. be that's special to each of you but it yeah. does happen it's super normal and um I, you know I never try to take offense to it although sometimes I, I do get a little sad <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I definitely um have moments where my actually my youngest Henry who's a year and a half has parental parents right now for my husband and I like can't handle it I like what do you mean you want daddy I'm I birthed you. I nursed you. I sat in a hospital with you for two years. What do you mean you want daddy? You know, I get so mad. And then I'm like, okay, okay. Let him have one of three. That's fine. He can have them. Yeah. Um, I love that. Okay. So tell me about the next age and stage. Let's talk about like the three to five year old bedtime situation. And the reason I want to get a little bit more granular with you is because of all of our experts, you have really this like potty training sleep expertise. You're one of the few of our experts who really have that deep knowledge. Um, and that's why I hope you don't mind sort of sharing like a tip of the iceberg here. Um, what is that three to five year old sleep challenge typically? So again, the power struggles are going to be real. Um, and again, you're going to start to get uh, bedtime battles, but I'm also starting to see a lot of early wake ups. So those mm -hmm. look like anything before 6am and your little one is like up to party for the day. Like they're like, I'm, I'm up. Like, and so a lot of early wakeups, uh, are happening at this age as well, especially if they still haven't, um, dropped their nap or if their total day sleep is then exceeding what they can handle. What'll start to happen is that your little one will start to eat from either your nights or your mornings. And so that's, you know, it's not going to take away from your nap is going to take away from your night sleep. So we want to make sure that if that's the first thing that I look at when I look at and I have a toddler that's around three years old, that is waking up early in the morning, I look at whether they're having a nap and whether we need to shorten or get rid of that nap. I know that's like so sad. 
<laughs> because we thrive on that nap, but it's, it's really important to kind of make sure because your, your little one's going to get the total day sleep that they need in a 24 hour period, whether they get that at nap and then they're going to just eat out of your mornings. And so that's really important to look at. Um, with this age group as well as whether they need to lose the nap. And I, I totally, I don't lose the nap altogether. I replace it with um, quiet time, right? And quiet time could be a lifesaver for a lot of parents, uh, especially if you just like, like me, I live for quiet time. It's like the, the best hour of my life because I get to put my kids to quiet time. I know they're good. They're safe. And I can like breathe for like an hour, eat and like, move on. It kind of like splits up my day. And now a word from our mom, Halo podcast sponsor. Who needs superheroes when we have moms? Kids and Company is Canada's leading provider of childcare with over 100 locations across the country and in the United States. They're celebrating their 20th anniversary this year, and with 20 years of experience in the childcare space comes a ton of innovation in how they cater to their families. They have in-classroom webcams, an app that provides daily updates for parents, a from-scratch menu, and wonderful high-quality educators. These are just a few of the amazing things about Kids and Company. My daughter attends one of their centers and I can vouch for how incredible they are, far beyond others we've attended. They're offering families who register and start care by July 31st, 2022, a waived registration fee. That applies to new registrations only. Call their team at one eight zero zero my co and use the code MOMHALO to register for this offer. You won't regret it. Still dealing with leaky diapers? It's time to try Rascal and Friends. Designed with you and your little one in mind, Rascal and Friends Premium Diapers ticks all the boxes. Affordable, safe on sensitive skin, deliciously soft and super absorbent. Plus, their unique design provides up to 12 hours of leak production to keep your baby comfy and dry day and night. Join the thousands of parents making the switch and say goodbye to leaks. Shop Roscoe and Friends premium diapers, training pants, and sensitive wipes at Walmart today. I find it's really interesting um, that you said that. My um, three and a half year old is my early riser. Uh, actually, my one and a half year old has been getting up pretty early before six, which is making us bananas. But um, my my three and a half year old is always basically the first up. And I actually think with her, um, she's overnight potty trained. So she has no problem holding all night. She can wake up in the morning and I think she just needs to pee. So she's waking up in the morning to pee and then she starts her day. And it's between that six 15 and 6 30 she's up so it's not super early I mean that's fine um my five-year-old and we can talk about poo we can transition now to poo and pee and that sort of expertise but um my five-year-old was a late potty trainer and on his way into JK is when he completely potty trained but we were having overnight accidents so he still wears a pull-up overnight my five-year-old and he sleeps in and honestly I think he rolls over in the morning he pees in his pull-up and he sleeps until 8 30. So my pediatrician at the time which is probably I should probably bring it up with her again because it's been a while and I was just thinking about it as like you know we want him sleeping longer and better versus you know, getting up to pee in the middle of the night because we were doing that. And he was waking up crying because he's like, I have to pee, I have to pee. And then his night was like disturbed and he was like a mess the next day. So I guess that's the intersection of both of your expertise now. Um, um, yeah, 
thoughts on that particular scenario? I don't really know what to do, to be honest. Yeah. So I, nighttime potty training is one of those things where you're like, you don't want to do it because it's like, it can disturb sleep. And then you're like, okay, when should I do it? There's a lot of questions around nighttime potty training. And really, there's really no age to remove that. And really what it is, is just removing the diaper. There is no really training at that point, right? It's how long your little one can hold their bladder overnight, right? So what I would recommend is like, just make sure that we're doing like what I call the triangle um, is, you know, lots of liquids in the morning and then tapering off before bed. I'm trying to do this myself because, because <laughs> I'm yeah. really good at having a like water before bed, um, but really starting to taper off the liquids before bed so that they can hold it for a lot longer. And um, I, I totally understand my, my three-year-old is, um, is, still in a pull up at night and my five-year-old is not right. So it really depends on his, on his age. He's just, um, so it really depends on the kid, the age and when you want to remove it, there's no right age or wrong age to do that. It's just when it works for you. And if you're getting good sleep and it's, it's fine for you, there's no, no reason. Right. But once you want to remove it, there really is no training to it. You just literally don't put on the diaper at night and make sure you have limit the liquids at before bed. I love that. Sorry. I'm not used to muting myself, which is so bad. It's just that there's some noise in the background that I don't want to get picked up, but, um, that's so good. It's funny. Cause the other day he's like, mom, I didn't pee in my diaper. I was like, Oh, cool. And the other thing is he won't let me put a diaper on him when he goes to bed. Like I can't do the pull up to go to bed. I had to actually sneak into his bed in the middle of the night and like pull the pull up on while he's sleeping. <laughs> Um, yeah. And never like, how did this pull up get on me? He just like now knows that like somebody Imagine. and he never wakes up when I do it. It's a fucked man. The thing parents do. Oh, my God. The other thing you could do is wake him up five minutes before he pees, uh, mm-hmm. before he wakes up. Cause lip most likely they're peeing when they wake up. Right. Mm-hmm. Or pooping. if you have a nighttime pooper that happens too, um, it's because they're, they're waking up and then they're going. So sometimes going in like five to 10 minutes before they actually wake up and taking them to the bathroom then um, will help with that as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I think my kids are also, I'm having an issue where sometimes we are trying to do this earlier dinner time, like four 30 dinner time and the bedtime is getting pushed. So like at seven 38, eight o'clock, they're like, Oh, can I have a snack? Right. So we're into the snack conversation. And I think we've become a little bit of a, um, shackled to the yoke of snacking because we're giving them an apple or a banana. Those are their only choices before bed. Um, and then, uh, they want to have some water with it. So I think you're right. I need to taper the water before bed. That's a really, that's a really good one. Um, but less sips as we get closer to the end of the day there. Um, one one way to do that is if you have like those Dixie cups or even like those little cup, like shot glasses, they'll find that like so fun if you just give them that. And that's like less water than um, having like a water bottle with a straw. And uh, it's kind of like a fun thing. I don't know. Maybe mm, I love that. Maybe that's not cool doing shots at night, but I you know what it. I mean with water. <laughs> so when somebody's calling you for potty training, cause there's not a lot of potty training experts out there. I know it's a, actually only know a few. You're one of very few that I know. What, what is the first phone call somebody is calling you about? Is that that What's the age and stage that they're calling? Because I experimented, I'm only asking because I experimented with Essa doing like the elimination communication, which is where you mm-hmm. put like a six month old on a potty and she was so good. I mean, I think honestly, 
as it was, I couldn't believe that it worked. Like I could not believe it worked. Obviously we couldn't keep it up. Um, and then some things obviously regressed to like normal sort of potty training conversations, but some traditions don't use diapers at all. Yeah. So it really depends. So when it comes to potty training, there's a couple of different schools of thought. And really that that goes with sleep too, is whether it's parent-led or it's child-led, right? And I kind of stand in the middle. I kind of, I think that we definitely need to look out for cues. And this is the most common question I get about potty training is like, when is my child ready? Right? Because we want to make sure that their kid is ready. But the most important factor, in in fact, is whether you as a parent are ready to guide your child in learning this new big skill. Because if you're not ready, and you don't have the time to do it, then it's that's like the biggest determining factor of success, your little one can learn, right? Just like elimination communication, your little one can learn, it takes a lot of time. But it's how, how much time you have to dedicate to it. Um, at that moment. And a lot of us live like really busy lifestyles. And we just don't have three or four days to like run after a like bare naked uh, child all day. Right. So it's, it's really depends on when you're ready. So where I stand with that is that yes, you need to be, your child needs to be able to communicate with you physically. They need to be able to pull down their pants. They have, all of that is important, but um, really what's important is guiding them when you feel it's the right time for them. So when you feel it's the right time, whether that be two years old or three years old, and you have the time, then it's having the patience to teach them that skill. You know, I have two-year-olds that learn to potty train, but they take a lot longer in the learning phase. Whereas I have four-year-olds that potty train and they get that learning phase easy, but then they have power struggles. So there are different challenges to each. There's no right way, but it really is when we have the time to do it. I'm trying to get to my mute. Um, yeah, it was funny because Essa was born in October. I was on mat leave in October, November, December, January, February, March. Yeah, it was the beginning of spring. We just started learning about it. And I learned about elimination communication from Blossom, my Bialik. She's a big advocate for it. Um, and I couldn't believe it. I started reading about all these other traditions who, who did those sorts of things. And you're right. It was extraordinarily consuming and it actually wasn't sustainable. Um, and it was really, really hard to keep up to like hold the baby over a potty. But I learned Estes cues pretty early about when she needed to pee and poo. So um, I also think for me, it's a little bit birth order. She learned to use the potty sooner because her brother was doing it and she watched him do it, right? She watched him get the, um, you know, we sort of did some of that like, rewarding with stickers and treats and all those things that you do um but yeah those were really the moments for me what do you when you see people um coming to you with kids entering junior kindergarten what is is it the fact that there's not a preparedness think COVID has made sort of potty training more challenging in that regard to be honest, I think potty train, most people are potty training more now because they have more time at home. Um, what I'm seeing a lot of, though, is kids holding it in, um, holding in poop, withholding, uh, all of that. And then power struggles as well, because, you know, um, just uh, like 
I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, it's like, it's really stressful when kids, when kids don't do what I want them to do. Right. You're like, want to control the situation. And so you want them to learn to potty train really quickly, but we have to give them some time and space. Nobody likes it getting run after you saying like, you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. Do you have to pee? Do you have to poo? Right. It gets annoying. And so power struggles at that age are more common because they're like, you know, enough already. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and so it's important to back off as much as we can. I know it's hard, but like, take a deep breath. And like, I always say, like, give yourself a mantra. Like, I don't care if you pee or poo in your mind so that you don't transfer that stress to them and that pressure, because guess what happens when you have pressure, you tighten up. And when you tighten up, you are withholding, right? You're your, your body starts to tighten up and they're not going to let go. You need to relax to be able to go. So it's super important, especially as your child gets older, that we are approaching it in a way that is going to cause them less anxiety and less fear because fear can cause them to withhold and it can be a vicious cycle. And what I always say to parents is that we never run away from fear. We always go through it and I can help you go through it with them. Uh, because that's going to help them become more exposed to it. And then they're going to be like, Hey, like this is, they do it once or twice. And they're like, this is easy. This is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I love that so much. I think for me, one of the challenges I'm facing right now with my daughter, Essa, and she's my biggest issue right now, is like she is withholding and I didn't realize that she was constipated. I think she's actually experiencing constipation. Can you give us a little bit about constipation? Because I know that's for sure yeah. something that you for sure have to intersect probably on a daily basis. Yeah. So withholding and constipation are two different things. So sometimes okay. when our little ones find like they're afraid of it, they'll withhold that can cause constipation because they're literally holding it in. And what starts to happen is the poop gets hard, right? Poop gets hard. It gets lodged in there. And when they do eventually go, that poop hurts, right? Because it's, it, it's not soft. And when that hurts, it causes more withholding right? Because they're like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing this. This is hard. Um, And this hurts. So they've had a bad experience now, right? So in order to get on the, like, we need to make sure that they're not constipated. So like that's diet, you know, making sure you're getting some good fats. If you're doing fiber, you need to like up your water intake, especially in the morning so that you're not having constipation. So making sure that you're watching their, their diet. I love like these, um, coconut milk um, smoothies, things that are just going to naturally help them go. Those uh, when potty training are going to be so important to kind of get their bodies going. The other thing that really helps with um, poop is like exercise, right? Like jumping around is like getting everything moving in there is going to help them. Now, if your your baby is, or sorry, your toddler is withholding, then we need to get them nice and relaxed so that they're comfortable to go. You know, sometimes that means giving them a little bit of privacy. Like some kids like to poop in a corner or like, behind the couch. <laughs> um, yeah. you know, I it all. And, um, and we need to offer them a little bit of privacy, maybe even say like, Hey, I got to go get something in the other room, give them like a couple of minutes on the potty and then just like let them do their thing. Because the more that we're sitting over watching them, like nobody likes to go when someone's like, like in the middle of the living room, no one wants to go poop there. I love that. 
Um, I, I think for sure I've had my kids go through all of those pieces. I'm glad to hear you say that because I think that was what's happening is the withholding moment. My daughter had some pretty giant and hard stools in recent months. And it was right after the holidays, after so much junk and and no routine at all. And she was screaming when she was pooing and like blood, she had blood. It was like terrible, sorry um, for all that. And like, she was scared after that. So we're trying to increase some of her, she's such a good eater. My daughter is also my best intuitive eater. Like she'll eat tons of fruit. She'll eat tons of vegetables. She'll like sweets too, don't get me wrong, but she definitely has the most healthy of my kids appetites and is definitely more inclined to eat like pears and bananas and grapes. And I don't need to like try to coerce her to do those things. So she definitely is my best eater. She likes rice. She likes, um, you know, all different fish and stuff like that. So I don't have a problem with Essa's eating it all, but this pooing thing is becoming a little bit more of an issue. And she was streaking so much for so long that I, it didn't dawn on me later that it was constipation. So we're still working on it. When does it really become a problem? When are we like saying, okay, we need medical intervention or really need to talk to a physician or it's beyond your scope. When does that happen? So yeah, I would definitely say if they're holding it in and they're not pooping for like over three, four days, go talk to your doctor because they're probably going to give you um, some, some stool softener or a suppository or something to help kind of open that up and let it out. Um, So I would say if you're starting to see, okay, like they're, they're streaking or they're, they're not going for three or four days and they're, it's affecting their mood because like, you'll see a difference in their mood. They won't want to play. They're really clenching all of that stuff. I usually always say like, let's go back to the basics, make sure they get it, do some bare bottom, see if we can get them to kind of feel comfortable with it. And if all else fails, then obviously you want to go talk to your doctor first. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely in my son, my youngest, Henry, he has a rare genetic disorder um, called Myri syndrome. And part of the syndrome is they, they suffer from what's called the stenosis of almost every organ. And that means the stenosis is a narrowing of a passageway and compacted bowels, meaning like literally your bowels are compacted with feces is a common occurrence in Myri. And early on, I remember him like having these like huge, lofty, firm poos that I had to like manually extract by doing like big stomach compressions and lots of like, um, like stimulation and stuff like that. And a physician at SickKids being like, I've never seen a child stool like that before. Um, so my son is actually on a daily regimen of medication called Restorelax or PEG, um, which keeps his stool soft and moving. And for some kids, like I know that's just their life. So they call it like poo juice or whatever people call it. Um, but it, it allows their kid to sort of have those moments. And Henry will unfortunately have a dependency, I believe his whole life on um, some bowel of movement moments because the compacted bowels can become quite um, dangerous for, I mean, he's obviously a, a, a rare, um, a special, a special example. Um, but yeah, I definitely see that there are moments where you do require those sorts of levels of intervention for sure. Um, and here's my next question for you. Um, when we become parents and we think about those hard moments, how much, <laughs> I cannot believe sometimes, maybe it's more of a comment than a question, but like, maybe you can just share your insight, how much of our time and energy is spent on sleep, poop, and pee. Like how much, like no one signs up for that. They don't understand that like your life becomes for the very early years, I find like completely consumed 
was sleeping, sleeping and pooing and peeing. Like that is our entire life. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. And even yeah. to, to more extent for me, for, because I do this for a living and um, I see it all, but this is, this is why I think that, you know, we are always so scared to kind of reach out for support because we're like, we should know this stuff, like sleep easy, right? Yeah. Poo and pee. Yeah. They're just like, our, it's our body. It should just come to us. And we feel like this a responsibility to be able to manage all this on our own. And sometimes, you know, there, you can reach out for support on all of these things so that you don't spend a lot of time and stress. I find that like when I, when you have a plan, when you like think this through, I don't know, I'm a big planner. Like I, when you have like a step-by-step, okay. Like, and you sit down with your family, your partner, and you have this discussion of like, okay, how are we going to do this? Like we need to be on the same page. That is so important to have, but then also like don't feel bad about reaching out for support because like I live and breathe this, right? Uh, This is my whole day. I just had four poop conversations before this. So I, you know, talk about this all the time and I see different uh, cases and I'm able to give you like a third party perspective and almost like sit there and troubleshoot with you based on my experience and my um, teachings and what I learned. And I think that that is always needed sometimes because when you're in the trenches and you're like super stressed out, like I don't think straight. And so it's important to have to reach out and have someone kind of help you through that. So you don't spend years potty training. You don't have to spend months. You will inevitably talk about poop all day anyway. Well, you know, like, I'm sure like, that's like the conversation with your, with your partner at the end of the day is like, Hey, how did the poop situation go? But, um, in the end, I don't want you to stress over all this stuff as much as you do, um, because there is help. There are, there are people that can help you and uh, that dedicate themselves to this. Right. So how did you come into it, by the way? I'm just curious. So I struggled really, really hard with my son. Um, when he was born, he was in the hospital for about seven days. Um, at two days old, he developed a fever and he actually, um, it was a breastfeeding, uh, journey that I went through that I wasn't able to breastfeed him. He had lost maybe 14% of his body weight. He was just like really, really frail. And we took him to the hospital with a fever and they kept him over overnight, uh, for the week, trying to get his body weight up. And for me as a new mom, I was like, so scared. I was like, I thought this breastfeeding thing was easy. Like I thought I would just be able to do this. And I wasn't able to, and to be honest, I had a lot of guilt, right? Cause I think in society pressures us to kind of feel like if we're not feeding the breastfeeding, you know, like that's a whole other topic, but, um, you know, I, I just had a lot of guilt over it. Right. And I started just pumping all night long, feeding my son, rocking him, then holding him to sleep for about five months. And by the month five, I was just like exhausted. I had developed postpartum anxiety and I was just a shell of myself. I did not enjoy parenting. And I can say that now because like, I was just like, I couldn't, I didn't sleep at all. Right. I was just waiting for that next wake up. And I, at five months kind of like was scrolling at like three in the morning. I'm sure a lot of moms can relate to this, right. You're like scrolling your phone, online shopping. And I saw like a sleep program and I was like, my little guy is so stubborn. He's never going to do this but I was just so exhausted. I kind of like just punched the button. I was like, okay, I'll just try it out. 
And I started to learn about sleep and it literally changed my life. And I don't say that like lightly, like, I mean, like I started getting like six hour stretches, which for me was just like, I thought I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Mm -hmm. And then eight hours and then 12 hours. And then I was, my postpartum anxiety was better. I was able to join mom groups. I was able to make friends. I left my house for the first time and I, I literally saw it was life-changing for me. And I thought like, okay, why don't I just start helping other moms kind of with this? And that's how I got my certification for sleep consultant. I actually did it while I had a newborn. My daughter was two weeks old and I went back to school to do the certification. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I have two certifications in sleep and two in potty training. So I kind of went like, okay, like if I need this help, I'm sure there's like a ton of families that need this help. How can I help other people? And so I left my job and started my, my uh, little baby sleep. And that's just like, now that's all I do. I, I talk to parents and I help them with this. So that's kind of like my story of I how I do it. I love it so much. And I'm so, I, I find that so many of us come to our professional sort of moments through a moment of trial or tribulation where we were sort of in our parenting journey early and it was such a rude awakening for whatever those moments were in your case, you know, medical fragility of, of a kid having a fever really early. That's super terrifying. Um, and so much of it came from like breastfeeding moments too. For me, like I started this entire business based on breastfeeding um, because it was such a jarring moment for me. And I often think about Lily and I'll ask you this, like, you know, COVID is so center stage and like really has veiled so much of the last two, almost three years. You know, I'm sort of, I made a joke this morning in Twitter that we're entering the three major uh, moments of COVID and it's going to be a real shit storm, you know, um, if it's anything like my daughter, it's going to be really bad, um, but maybe also really funny. She's pretty hilarious. Um, do you think that there are issues that we are not really discussing because COVID is so center stage? Like for parents, do you think there's things that like we are just not even thinking about because COVID has masked our ability to think of anything outside of just like survival? Yeah. And I think there's a lot of things bubbling up. And uh, like you said, it's, it's going to come out, right? Like there's a lot of things that added stresses that COVID has brought to our lives that you know, causes us to just lose, like not focus on other things, but it's still there, you know? Um, So yeah, as a parent going through it myself as well, you know, I always feel like that. I feel like, you know, there's things that are going to bubble up that are not unresolved, (laughs) that are unresolved that, uh, you know, and, and like I said, this, this time is like unprecedented and like, we don't know how to navigate it. Even like I could say, these are perfect bedtimes, but like, the reality is that we're just surviving, right? Yeah, I love it. Um, so let's take a quick little refresher. How much sleep should a, um, let's go through the sleep. Like how much sleep should a five-year-old be getting in a day now? So in a 24-hour period, your five-year-old could be getting, I don't know, uh, 11 to 13 hours in a 24-hour period. Okay. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So, and a three-year-old should be getting the same? 
Yeah. Like I usually say 11 to 14 hours when they're younger, they like, like a newborn would do like up to 18 hours. Right. Right. So, um, but then it starts to decline as they get older. So then you're looking 11 to 16 hours and 11 to 14 and 11 to 13. And for us, it's seven to nine. Right. Right. And, you know, after five years old, what most people don't realize is that their sleep cycles shift a little bit. And so you're going to start seeing some late bedtimes and late wake-ups because their sleep cycles kind of like shift. And so it's normal to have a later bedtime for a child that's over five years old, right? So that's something that I think most people don't realize is that that is a normal process of our bodies adjusting in our circadian rhythms. Okay. So tell me this, let's, for our mommies who are newborn mommies, um, what does a sleep day look like for, uh, zero to zero to three month old. Like I don't even remember (laughs) what does sleep look like? Yeah. So sleep can be, um, I, I think that when it comes to newborns, we need to also take into consideration that like we just had a baby and we need, we are in a little bit of a survival mode. So um, timing for newborns is key is getting, just trying to offer the nap at the right time so that they don't get overtired is going to be important. Your newborn might love to be held. And I think that's okay. And we just practice putting them down whenever we can. So there's little expectations or stress over it. Um, But we want to also make sure that we're offering the naps at the right times to kind of get them down. Um, And you might have a 20 minute nap and you might have a two hour nap for a newborn, right? Because essentially their circadian rhythm is not really developed yet. It's all over the place. It's chaos. Yeah. Uh, And it doesn't start to develop until about three months. So we need to kind of understand that you're going to get some short naps. I just want you to kind of count your wake window or watch your cues until your next nap and almost do like a routine rather than a schedule so that, you know, with a newborn, you could get a really short nap and then be stressed out. Oh, that's not on my schedule. And so I don't want you to go through a schedule. I want you to just have a routine. You know, when my baby wakes up, they eat, then they play and then they then we try for another nap. And it almost kind of becomes a routine that, you Mm -hmm. know, if you know, shit hits a van, then you can just kind of pick up and, and, uh, and go with it so that it's not as stressful for you. I love that. I think for me, and I, if you're a new parent or an expecting parent or a second time parent, and you don't remember, I think that's so, so freaking key is like, you know, I didn't know about awake windows with my first kid. I was too busy as a new mom. My first time with looking at strollers, you think I read anything about breastfeeding or sleep? It wasn't part of my vernacular people you know we really are talking about these things more and more and I think parents are becoming more educated as they enter parenthood um, on these things but you know those as you say not schedule but routine actually then becomes the schedule right and before you know it, you're like oh shit my kid's napping three times a day oh shit my kid's napping twice a day oh shit that consolidated streak is now one nap like that literally starts so early and uh you know I kind of feel like with my daughter Essa who's my second my middle child I went into parenthood so much more confident because I'd already obviously had the experience for my first child. And I was like, damn, I'm going to do this right now. You know, like I get it now. Like second time parenthood was so much easier for me as it is for so many parents. Cause you're like, okay, like I'm not this virginous parent anymore. Like taking my first step into this new arena. Um, obviously there's dynamics with siblings and growing families and stuff like that and family management. But in terms of the babyhood, it's like, oh, I got this. I've been on this block before, you know, I'm not Jenny from, I'm Jenny from the block. 
block. Like I know exactly how to do this. Um, and Essa, I had to tell you, like by the time she was nine weeks old, she was sleeping the night, you know, like I knew all of her cues. I knew to put her down a lot. I let her find her thumb. She was a great self-soother. And I was like, damn, you're my earth angel, honey. Like she was my like fucking rock star sleeper. Um, Henry hasn't even had like a fair chance because of all the other complexities, which is, um, you know, if I know a lot of people who actually have kids who are medically complex and they're always looking for sleep coaches because it's really hard to train yeah. somebody who has lots of complexities and that's a whole nother ball game for another day. But, um, yeah, man, I think like the experience is if you're a first time parent watching this or listening to this, like do the reading, take a look, follow the experts, follow your Instagram. You give so much wisdom there. Um, and let's just bring it home now then, you know, uh, Lily, tell us what is the number one thing you want parents to leave with today from any ancient stage when it comes to either sleep or pooping? What, what's the thing you want them to know? Uh, the one thing I want them to know is they are not alone. You are not alone. We don't have to do this alone. You don't have to be that tired parent. You don't have to be like, it's not, you know, I have to be sleep deprived so I could be a great parent. You could be a great parent and still be rested. You could be a great parent and still have support to help you with potty training. And there are free resources out there as well. So it doesn't always have to be reaching out for, you know, a consultant, but it, you know, I have tons of free resources that might help. So reach out for help. You're not alone. We are here to help you. And, you know, it takes, a, it really does take a village. You have a village here with mom Halo. And that's what you should look for is that village to kind of help you through because we feel like we can do it all, all on our own. We, we just can't. It's, this is not the, you know, we, we're not living in, in those times when we have you know, grandparents around and maybe extended family. Um, we are living during COVID times. And so that requires a lot more support. I love that. Thank you so much for saying that. I think that it to me is the most crucial thing is that somehow there's this like sacrificial lamb or moment where somebody's like trying to be like, you know, poor orphan Annie and just like really struggle. And I don't think motherhood needs to be that struggle and that if you are consuming this content if you're following us on Instagram then you obviously live in some level of access and have the choice to choose information right and access to information is also a privilege so take advantage of this stuff and um you know the better you're sleeping and the you know the faster you can sort of get on that track I really do believe I have no problem with people co-sleeping. I have no problem personally with somebody cuddling their kid to sleep or whatever, breastfeeding to sleep. You do you. This is not about prescribing something. This is about describing a way of doing it. We're putting the cards on the table. And if you want to take it, it's there for the taking. If it doesn't work for you, that's totally cool too. But we want to present some options, right? Um, for all of these pieces. I love this so much. Okay, let's run through your socials. Where can somebody find you? So you can find me at, um, at Lil Baby Sleep and at Lil Potty Plan on Instagram. And we will put that all in the show notes here. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for um, having me. It was great to have you here. And we hope your baby sleeps tonight. And oh. I hope he's in the potty. That's what I hope for. <laughs> Love it. Thank you. Bye. Awesome. Bye, you. everybody. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mom Halo podcast, I'd love your support by sharing it with others, posting about us on social, or leaving a really good rating and review. To catch all the latest from me, you can follow me on Instagram at the Mom Halo. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. 
Sick Kids is helping redefine what's possible in pediatrics. Also, children can lead healthier, happier lives. In 2021, Project Halo raised over $150,000 to help build a new Sick Kids designed to better serve patients and families. This will include spaces devoted to parents and caregivers, spaces to feel calm, relief, and rest. We are calling on our community again this year to join us in helping build a state-of-the-art hospital. Together, there are no limits to what we can achieve. To learn more and to donate, go to fundraise.sickkidsfoundation.com backslash Project Mom Halo. Thank you for your generosity and support.